When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Welcome back to Investing Month. Today, we are talking about managed funds, Owen. Yes, managed funds. Probably not a thing that a lot of people are excited about, but we think it's important this year around because we normally do these investing months or share investing months, but we've never really broken down managed funds. And we see a lot of investors like us are interested in these things, but it's typically after they've learned about shares and after they've learned about ETFs. Yeah, they're often a more advanced step in your journey. Yes. However, they are still far bigger than ETFs. This is the predominant way that people invest throughout the world. Yeah. And often before ETFs existed, this was the main way you could access investment teams. Yeah. So this is called a mutual fund in the United States. Um, If you've ever heard of the term hedge fund, they're the more aggressive type of managed fund. So um, they all kind of fall into this bucket. And shocker, this is the truth that people need to understand, an ETF is just a managed fund. That's all it is. So we'll, It's just a lot easier to buy and sell. Yeah, so we'll cover that um, bridge in the next episode. This will be a, short, a shorter one. But Kate, do you invest in managed funds? I do. I have for quite a long time. Probably I discovered managed funds at a similar time to when I discovered ETFs. So it was a little bit of a different journey for me because I know many listeners, ETFs are probably the first investment mm. they have a go with. And as we mentioned earlier in this series, you can invest in anything within a managed fund. It is more of that, it's a vehicle to invest. So it's a way to access an investment team. Sometimes it's a more active investment where you've got a couple of people in an office or probably working from home these days, actually doing all the, the research, talking to management teams and maybe deciding 
what are the companies we want in this portfolio? It could be mm. Australian companies. It could be a managed fund that invests in English companies, all sorts of different managed funds. It could be property, could yeah. be bonds. So could, it's could just anything, that really. vehicle. So you can choose to invest in a managed fund uh, because it's investing in something else that you want to be invested in. Yeah. Uh, and another reason, that's a really good point. Another, and another reason is that you don't want to be hands-on. Mm. So if you, for example, you like ETFs, but you also think that some people like are really impressive and they can do good. Uh, and like you said, you, maybe there's some parts of the investing world that an ETF can't go. And there are plenty of those areas where ETFs won't work ever. But um, you could use a managed fund to get that exposure in your portfolio. A, a good example of this might be, say you believe that smaller companies have more potential for long-term growth. Uh, and I'm talking about really small companies here. You would probably, well, I would, my belief is that you should strongly consider using managed funds for that. Because I think even though there are some managed funds that won't do as well as say as an index fund, um, there are some that will do a lot better than that. So having a very small part of your portfolio in something like this might make sense for you. And if you go see a financial advisor, they'd probably say something similar. Um, another reason that you could use something like this is if you, like you said, you're investing in something that's not typical. So say you wanted to invest in, I don't know, like private companies, companies that aren't on the stock exchange. You can't use an ETF to do that because an ETF can't go and buy the things. But you may be able to use a, a variant of a managed fund. Uh, how do you invest in them? Well, Kate, how did you invest in your first managed fund? Yes. Yeah, so it was pretty old school back, I think this was back in 2017. It was a manual application form that I had to print and fill in the details and send off copies of my certified driver's license off to the the admin company that worked with the fund manager. So mm -hmm. just like ETFs might work with computer share or link market services, um, some managed funds work with a company like Fundhost, which is does all the behind the scenes for the managed fund and yeah. things like that. And so I had to apply manually and then I told them, okay, I'm going to send you for example, $1,000 and I had to do a bank transfer. So mm -hmm. it was very manual. I had to send off the money. And then once they received it, they allocated me units in that fund. So the whole process took a couple of weeks. It wasn't a quick and easy process like we talk about when we can open a brokerage account today and potentially be owning shares and ETFs same day, if not tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and notice how Kate used the word unit. It's the same thing. If you were looking at your super fund, they'll say unit. Yeah, and you'll have a unit price if you yep. look at your super fund too. Yep. yep, and it's the same thing if you look at your ETFs. They call them units. So it's all the same thing underneath. It's only just different. Like think about it as like a, a, a rabbit warren. There's a burrow down there and they're just all different entry points and they all end up in the same thing, which is a managed fund. Yeah, so instead of different variants. owning one share in a single business, you own a unit in this fund, which owns lots of other things. Yeah, and pooling people's money together does have advantages. It definitely works well for the fund managers who can get paid well for it uh, if they're good at their job. So let's just summarize quickly. It's a thing that's very similar to an ETF, except you might fill out, a, in your case, you filled out a form. It Most of them now are online. online. We yeah. go to the fund manager's website. So say you go to the Vanguard website. Um, well, maybe not so much these days, but say a couple of years ago, you would fill in a form on their website and you would make a direct deposit and they would verify your identity, et cetera. Yeah. Usually, from what I see now, even if it is online, there's still some element of verifying your signature or your ID when you make changes. Yep. It's not 
as quick as buying and selling an ETF through your brokerage account. And also that sort of the admin side is something to think about when you want to take money out. You often have to submit a form to take the money out. So uh, in terms of getting money out quickly, managed funds can be a little bit slower than sort of me going onto my brokerage account right now and pressing sell. Yep. Yep. But sometimes, as we've talked about, is sometimes you don't always want the lowest fees and sometimes you don't always want the quickest way to get in and out of something. Yes. Like I couldn't tell you the last time I made a trade, like a purchase of shares or an ETF using my mobile phone. I just don't do that because I don't like having the apps on my phone. Mm. And and you've also set some automations up with your ETF Yeah, with the ETF portfolios. But you can also do that with managed funds. Yeah. You can just do direct deposits, BPAY, heaps of different things. I've been um, running a regular contribution plan of a few hundred dollars a month for the last five years, bar or take a couple of times when I had to put that on pause, like during COVID. Um, So that happened in the background. They just took the money out of my bank account every month and added it and gave me more units. And then I can look on the admin site and see all of the different units I've got Mm -hmm. and what unit price I was allocated because the fund is worth different things on different days. And they also send you tax documents at the end of each financial year because they might pay a distribution. So they might pay some of that income out to me. Yep. Um, So a lot of the people will know that uh, on the Investors Podcast, the Australian Investors Podcast, which is the podcast that I host. And the yellow one, as Owen likes to tell The yellow one. Just just stick with the yellow one. Um, On that show, basically a few times a month, we have some of Australia's best fund managers and they manage these things. So typically, people use like a generalization, but typically a managed fund is used for active investing. So that means you are betting on the team behind whoever runs it, the, the fund manager, to pick stocks or pick bonds or pick property or pick whatever to do well over time. Um, with that, it's it, While that's true, I want to be clear that many people still use managed funds as index funds. That's how they started. They didn't start with ETFs. It's just the young investors that think that- Yeah, my you know, grandma's day this. ETFs weren't yeah. a thing. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. So they've only been around since really the 90s, whereas managed funds have been around for donkey's years, uh, as maybe a nan would say. So it's- with these, you can have this like a big menu. They're just harder to find a list and access them as uh, in comparison to ETFs. But there are many reasons why you would consider them, particularly if you're looking for different types of things to invest in. Um, but let's just talk, Kate, generally about some of the things that you should look at. So not necessarily look for, but what you should look at if you're thinking about investing in a managed fund. So one of the biggest things I would have a look at is who is running the fund. Because if it's an active strategy, so there's individuals that are buying and selling particular investments for a reason, you want to know what their skill set is, what their track record is, have they had a lot of experience doing something like this and have they done well in the past? Yeah. As like That's not indicative that they'll do well in the future, but you want to know they've got some track record. You want to know what their um, left and right of arc is. So what kind of companies are they researching? What mm-hmm. would make a good company for that portfolio, that fund. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can do that by having a look at the website. You can read the product disclosure statement. You can also, something that's a little bit more accessible would be the the quarterly or annual reports the fund managers will put together. So that usually goes into a bit of detail about why they invested uh, in a few different companies, maybe why some of the companies in the portfolio aren't performing that well. And mm-hmm. there's a bit of rationale there. And sometimes they'll give their top five or top 10 holdings in that portfolio. So it gives you a bit of indication of 
what type of companies they're investing in. Yeah. Um, there's a thing in, I agree with all that. So there's a thing in uh, funds management that I kind of, I believe, and it's not a, something that you can necessarily identify with straight away, but um, I think that some, I think in most of the really good fund managers are a bit odd. <laughs> so Contrarian. <laughs> yeah, they're, a bit, they're just a bit odd. Like they're very focused people is probably yeah. the, another similarity is they're very focused on what they do. Um, I see a mistake that people make is they, f- when they pick a managed fund or an ETF or a stock, the first thing they do, Kate, is they look at the performance. So mm. they go straight to the thing and they go, what's the performance? We look at one month first and we look at three yeah. and then we look at six and that's really not the way to do it. We're taking a quick break to share a message about Pocketsmith, one of our wonderful partners on the show. Pocketsmith is a customizable personal finance management tool that helps you be the best CFO for your household. Get on top of your finances, understand where your money is going and forecast ahead. Track your net worth up to 60 years into the future and reach your money goals. If you're ready to manage your money like a pro, Pocketsmith have a special deal for you. Get 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's foundation plan by heading to pocketsmith.com slash rask or click the link in the show notes. Let's get back to the show. So what you do when you select a fund is you look at the process that they follow. They'll have like a philosophy, which is like, we believe the stock market or whatever is built for this reason. We believe that companies with strong brands do better than companies without strong brands. So that's their philosophy. And then you will be able to find on their website, their investment process. And the process is like, how do you actually find those companies. So if you do the brand example, well, we look for companies that have, you know, internet search rankings that are above everyone else. We look for brands that have really positive mission statements that support the brand. We look for things where the most common way that you find a new customer is through word of mouth because that infers trust and all this sort of stuff. So that might be the way they process the investment opportunities and then they put them in the portfolio. Uh, the, there's so many things wrong with judging a fund based on performance. Mm. So many things wrong. That's why they all, we always have to say past performance is not indicative of future performance. Uh, even the super ads say that. And a lot of investors will, if their fund underperforms during this year, they'll jump to a different fund yeah. that might have un- overperformed and then they just keep jumping around every year and they don't end up making much money. Yeah, there's so many studies that show that what's performed you know, top performer in the last one or two years is not necessarily the top performer in the next one or two years. And so a lot of fund managers, so a lot they say a lot of fund managers, like managed funds, don't do as well as index funds. And one of the reasons I believe is because they have investors in those funds that are chopping and changing because that actually forces the fund manager to buy and sell at the wrong times. So because when your money goes in and out, they have to make the decision to buy and sell things. So it forces them to make the wrong decisions as well. Um, so we can we can all kind of contribute to this or um, get on the same page. And I have this saying that um, like past performance is in the past, but process is permanent. So what I mean by that is like when you look at the performance figures and you'd see who's done well, that's already happened. You don't get that. What you get when the day that you buy in is you get what happens in the future. And what you get, what you should get from the fund manager is a process and they stick to that process. So if they say, we go out and buy the world's best brands. Well, you're going to get companies that have strong brands. You should. You can check the portfolio for that uh, when they disclose it. So they might have Apple in there, right? But they're probably not going to have Jimmy's industrial mining proprietary or just limited limited in their portfolio. They're not going to have some random thing in there, right? So your role as an investor is not just to 
go to the performance and be like, oh, it looks good, invest. It's actually to understand what they do. They issue monthly reports, they issue quarterly reports and actually understand. And this is the final bit where people go wrong, I think, even the supposedly sophisticated investors, um, is that they, when they study a, a fund, like a managed fund, and they say, okay, I'm going to invest in, in a company, a fund that specializes in India, right? And then after a year, India as a whole stock market has gone down. And the fund manager might have gone down, but not as much. And then they look at their portfolio at the end of the year and they go, oh, India, this thing's really not good. But, oh, look, China, that's done really well. I'll go invest in that. And the, the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of investors, they don't understand that sometimes some things don't do well and sometimes they do. So having a diversified portfolio is not about just picking all winners all the time. It's about having some losers and knowing that those losers are there for a reason. It's very hard to teach this to investors but I just want to be clear, like there's a time when India will do well. There's a time where brands will do well. There's a time where China will do well. Just know what you're getting yeah. because you're not able to predict the performance. You're not getting what's happened in the past. What you're getting is an investment based on your own understanding of what they're designed to do. Uh, I see this all the time and um, fund managers also have a problem articulating this because they just want more many, more people to come in that, yeah, come in. We can yeah, look at our returns. Look at our returns. Look at our returns. Um, but really, what you want them to be saying is, look at how we invest, look at how we invest, look at how we invest, because then you can make an informed decision of where that would sit in your portfolio. And yeah. that's a little bit more advanced, but that is, those are some of the things that people will kind of butt heads with when they think about a managed fund. Yeah, a managed fund wouldn't be your entire no, portfolio because it might, like I think we mentioned in the last episode or the episode before about the core and satellite yeah, approach, yeah. it could form a slice of your core or a slice of your yeah. satellite depending on what's inside that vehicle. Remember, yeah. it's it's not the managed fund, it's what's inside that really matters. Yeah, and uh, this is a really good point. And one, maybe one final thing we should touch on, Kate, is um, so when you invest in a managed fund, it's not like an ETF where you might be able to invest 500 bucks. Most managed funds require minimums and they'll be five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand is pretty common. Um, so it's typically for people that have invested, been investing for one to two years, maybe threes, and they've kind of established their portfolio. Yeah. But there will probably come a time and some people might be like, well, I really want to invest in XYZ managed fund and all I have is 30 grand, then you might have one big rock that is the managed fund. Mm. Uh, and then you'll have some other little things around the outside. And that's okay while you're building up. But at the same time, you can build a portfolio, say, of ETFs to start with, with $500 minimums. So you get four or five of those, build it up to, say, $50,000, and then buy one of these things for 10 or 20 grand if you want to do that. Yeah. And Owen, when someone's looking at a managed fund, they might notice that the fees are quite a bit higher than the fees when they're looking at a, yeah. a passive ETF that's just investing in the largest Australian companies. Is it worth a higher fee or is there a fee that is too high? There are fees that are too high, um, but some of the fees are justified and many of them aren't. So it's like some of the times it's okay. It's hard to know in advance. Yeah. But I'll give you an instance where I personally would be prepared to pay higher fees. And what I mean by higher fees is 
Some of the best fund managers that I know in Australia charge a management fee, which is automatically taken out. So when you see your performance as an investor in the managed fund, um, that's automatically adjusted. Just like an ETF. Just like an ETF. Out. It's automatically taken out, uh, which makes it great for the fund manager because <laughs> you barely <laughs> notice it. Um, but then there's another fee that they get, which is a performance fee. So this would be like saying, all right, um, if we do 10% performance this year, after that, we want to take a little bit of the extra bit. And that's our that's our incentive to do better than 10% for you. And there should be something called a high watermark. So check with the managed fund. I won't explain that. But so I would be prepared to pay maybe even over 1% per annum in management fees in some instances. Like for example, if I was investing in a really good managed fund that specializes in small companies. And I'd also be prepared to pay that amount if I was investing in something that, for example, invested in small companies, but on a global stage, because mm -hmm. they require more analysts around the world and whatever. Lots of travel. Lots of travel. I'd also be prepared to pay more in fees if it was like uh, what we call emerging markets, so like China, India, parts of the Middle East, uh, Latin America, because they do, again, need people on the ground to go and do the research and find the companies and whatever. So again, I'd be prepared to do that. But remember that every piece of fee that you pay will come out of your return. And that's why some of the fund managers underperform. Um, I mean, there's so many things we could go into, but we'll save that for maybe the investors podcast or a later date if people are interested. Uh, but to put it in context, you could probably expect to pay around 1% for a managed fund versus an ETF that might go in your core portfolio. And that might be, for example, 0.25%, or maybe even a little bit less, to be honest. The way I think about it and the way most financial advisors, obviously I'm not a financial advisor, but the way most financial advisors think about it is they have what's called a fee budget. So they say, I'm okay with my entire portfolio costing 1%, knowing that they're going to have some things that are expensive and some things that aren't expensive. So they save money on like the index funds mm -hmm. and they use that budget to go and invest in the things that might be more expensive. And that's perfectly legitimate as well. You can do that with managed funds. Like most people would reserve the expensive part for the managed funds and have the cheap stuff as ETFs. Yeah. So I get a little bit, that's why I get a little bit concerned if an ETF, which is pretty basic, yeah. it starts charging more than say, if it ever charged 1%, I wouldn't invest in it because it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And there's some ETFs that do very similar things to managed funds, which we'll yeah. probably touch on briefly in our ETF episode coming up. Yeah, that's right. So just in summary around a managed fund, a managed fund is a way to pull your money yep. and it's typically with a professional fund manager. He or she will lead a team. We call them portfolio managers, the people at the top, by the way. They will lead the portfolio decisions and your performance will ultimately base on the, be based on their process. Yeah. It's just a vehicle and you have to open the boot to see what's inside it. So yep. you want to have a look at the process and what they're investing in to see if it has a role in your portfolio. Yeah. We can give you some real quick examples of funds. These are not recommendations, but you can go and read their product disclosure statement as a PDS. We would also, both Kate and I would say to you, go and read maybe the last two quarterly reports. They all do quarterly reports where they summarize what's happened in the portfolio and their latest findings and research. And if you are interested in investing in companies, they're always good places to expand oh, yeah. your curiosity. Yeah. If you're looking for stocks to buy, go and read the fund managers quarterlies because I'll talk about them. Yeah. You get to read their research for free. Yeah. Um, so maybe some names that people would be familiar with perhaps, or you could go and find uh, there's a company in Sydney called Forager Funds Management, which is run by a guy called Steve. Um, they do really good quarterly reports. Another one is uh, Lakehouse Capital, also based in Sydney. 
Um, well, who else can I mention? Vanguard also do managed funds. So Platinum Asset Management. Platinum Asset Management. Uh, there are so many. We're probably in trouble for not mentioning them here, but there are so many that are more educational focused in the quarters. Aorus, A-O-R-I-S, uh, Fairlight. These are all really, I would say, really educational, really insightful type quarterly reports. Intelligent Investor, who's a sponsor of the show, they have funds as well. Um, so there's so many of these that you can just go and read and get familiar with the idea of a managed fund. Yeah. So this will all make a lot more sense in the next episode. I think et- I think ETFs have a bigger place to play in people's portfolios, so that's why that will be exciting. But that said, sooner or later, over your investing journey, you're going to consider managed funds. So we hope this uh, episode was helpful to you. If you do want to hear more about it, let us know. Send us a message and we'll respond. But Kate, the next one's ETFs. Yes. Next up on Investing Month, we're going to jump into ETFs, how they work, and some points to start when you're doing your own research. Sounds good. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Want to create the perfect ETF portfolio? Join InvestSmart's free live masterclass webinar on the 19th of June to learn how to build a portfolio of exchange-traded funds that match your financial goals. Hosted by money expert Evie Zahos and Paul Clitheroe, one of Australia's leading financial voices and the chair of InvestSmart. You'll hear about the evolving economic landscape and what it means for investors, as well as top tips on selecting the best ETFs. Ask your questions live and transform your investment strategy. Visit investsmart.com.au forward slash events to grab your place today. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.